I just feel like three, six months from now, we're not talking about search engines here. Mm. I think we're talking about much bigger shifts in business communications, creativity, and the search stuff is just going to have been like a footnote, basically. Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. All right, welcome to episode 34 of the Marketing AI Show. I'm your host, Paul Reitzer, along with my co-host, Mike Kaput. What is happening with you this week, Mike? We're, what is it? It's Monday the 13th we're recording this. So um, I am in San Francisco, actually. I'm on location. First time in San Fran <laughs> in probably four years. You're back. You were traveling recently, weren't you? Yes. Like DC yeah, I was in DC. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Mike and I see you like two, three times a week in the office. Sometimes like... <laughs> Things are so crazy to catch up. So I am actually in San Francisco for the Gen AI Summit, a conference. I'm not sure what the official name is, but Jasper's event that's happening actually on Valentine's Day on February 14th. So I'm uh, anxious to see all, all the things happening in the world of generative AI and language models tomorrow. So it should be should have some stuff to report next week on the podcast, hopefully. That's all awesome. Right, but, yeah, so we'll get started. Today's episode is brought to you by Macon, which is our marketing AI conference. It's happening July 26th to the 28th, 2023 in Cleveland at the Huntington Convention uh, Center and yeah, Huntington Convention Center, right across from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you haven't been there, um, Brown Stadium, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Science Center. It's an awesome location in downtown Cleveland. So the conference brings together hundreds of professionals. Uh, Hopefully, I think we're talking about three to 400 this year is the goal for the conference. So the focus this year is going to be on experiencing the AI technologies, being able to engage with other forward-thinking marketers and business leaders, and really just exploring all the use cases and potential for artificial intelligence in your business and in your career. Uh, the event will have talks from experts on generative AI, ethics and legal, human impact of AI is a big one for me this year. I'm really looking at building out the agenda to focus on some of those areas, including like workforce and talent development and reskilling and upskilling, things like that. So we're, we're going to go beyond just the use cases and the technologies and case studies and really get into some of the bigger issues around AI that I know you and I are focused on and talk a lot about. So Macon is just a great way to get prepared for the next phase of your AI journey, get your clear vision on a near-term strategy to implement it in your business. You can learn more at Macon.ai, that's M-A-I-C-O-N.ai. And the lowest rates actually end on Friday the 17th. So if you're listening to this right after it comes out, uh, Friday the 17th, the rates go up at the end of the day. So I think it's at $6.99 right now, which is the cheapest it's going to be. So if you want to come to Cleveland and be with us July 26th to the 28th, definitely check that out. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mike for our three topics. Again, if you're new to the show, we've been getting hundreds of new listeners every week, which has been awesome. Um, and, and the way we do this weekly is Mike and I just kind of pick three topics to riff about, and then we try and focus on just big things that's happening. The challenge we're facing is it seems like we could pick three every day. Hmm. So narrowing it down to three every week is kind of complicated, but we've got three uh, good ones for today. So Mike, I'll turn it over to you. Sounds great, Paul. Thanks. And I'm glad you had safe travels to San Fran. Um, yeah. 
definitely a uh, packed week of AI news. Um, first up, Google made some headlines, both uh, in a good and a bad way, um, by announcing an experimental conversational AI tool that they're calling BARD. And BARD uses Google's Lambda language model to provide natural language answers to search queries. So think of it like ChatGPT, but backed by all the knowledge and information that Google's search engine has cataloged over the last couple decades. Now, this is still being tested by a group of what Google calls trusted testers. You can't yet use this as of uh, today, uh, but it should be rolling out in some fashion soon. Um, clearly, this announcement is a response to OpenAI and ChatGPT. And like I alluded to, there's been a little controversy around it. Um, Google has been criticized both for a rushed rollout of the product, but as well as not moving fast enough to innovate in response to OpenAI and other competitors. So, Paul, what did you make of the announcement when you first heard of it? First, I, I laugh because if I'm not mistaken, when you and I recorded our episode last Monday, we said Google's probably going to make the news this week. We thought it was going to be on February 8th, and then they rushed the, the announcement. I think it was within an hour or two of us <laughs> recording our episode. Yeah. So I just thought it was hilarious that it happened. And then Microsoft came out the next day with, their demo of Bing and Edge, which I know we're going to talk about. Then Google on Wednesday, the 8th, I think it was, actually did the formal demo, which did not go well. Um, so I, my initial thought was, it's the first time in my life, I guess in Google's life, where they appear uh, uncharacteristically vulnerable and unprepared. So from a PR perspective, and people who don't know my background, I actually was a public relations major coming out of the journalism school at Ohio University. I spent a good portion of my early career working in PR. And as a former PR guy, it's a disaster. Like it's just uh, uh, setting their tech aside, which I still believe is probably the most advanced in the world. They just look like they have no clue what they're doing. Mm. And so that to me is like, again, I'm trying to separate the, the tech and the experience from the actual perception. The reception is not good at all. And then I know that they got like the, um, the day of the demo, they lost like a hundred billion in market cap because the demo didn't go well. And Bard actually made an error that ended up being because of a misplaced comma and <laughs> where that was like learning the information from. But, um, you know, I thought that just overall it looked bad. And then I thought that it also is just representative of how little the market comprehends this stuff hmm. because they showed a demo of a large language model interface, which is a flawed architecture. Like large language models aren't meant to be perfect. They're making predictions about words and probabilities and things. And to like lose a hundred billion in market cap because it got something wrong, it's going to get something wrong all the time. Like it's just the nature of these language models. So I don't know. It's kind of like just this crazy microcosm of where we're at right now, where Google and Microsoft are racing against each other. People are releasing things that aren't ready for prime time. The market overreacts to everything that happens because they don't understand the technology really at the core of all this. They don't realize all the other stuff that Google's got going on. And it's just like, sometimes you sit back and think, this is just crazy. It's a bizarre timeline we're living in at the moment. <laughs> so 
that kind of raises this question that it seems like everyone's been asking. There's obviously sky high expectations. There's unrealistic expectations. But would you say that Google is behind on innovating in this space? I mean, we've talked a lot about them being essentially the the creators, much of the technology that is being used in these products. Did they truly get caught flat-footed or is this just crazy expectations and maybe rushing out the door? I don't think they're behind on the technology. I think that would be a, a misguided assumption if you don't think that Google has more advanced tech than what we're seeing. They said as much that they're basically connecting BARD to a light version of Lambda, which is their main language model. And because if they did it to the full language model, not only would it require massive amounts of computing power, mm-hmm. um, but it, it, the risks would be too great. So they're trying to kind of play the game, get something out into the market, but realistically they weren't ready to release a product at this point. And again, it's not that they don't have more advanced technology. It's that they just weren't prepared to have to make the moves that they're making right now because of what OpenAI and Microsoft did. And that's becoming very apparent at the moment. So this is obviously just the beginning of this technology, but we've already seen lots of tweets, thought leadership, think pieces on how these types of conversational interfaces and using large language models could impact overall the search experience. And I'm curious about your thoughts on overall search and what this could mean we're headed towards. And also, do we have any thoughts on how the impact on search could also impact SEO, which obviously as marketers is a big topic for us? You know, it's interesting. I watched uh, at least clips of the interview with Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, and they asked him about this question specifically, like the impact on publishers and links to sources. And I think I saw a clip maybe where they even asked Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, about it. And I believe Sundar from uh, Google actually addressed this as well. And right now, it seems like they're basically all taking the same position of we don't really know like that everyone's moving so fast to get this out that they're almost on the fly trying to figure out how they're going to still reward publishers who are creating all the content that's training all the models so again if you're if you're new to this the the crux of the issue is if i go in and i ask google a question it can give me back a snippet like it can give me a summary today but generally it's still driving me to publisher links. I'm still going to a third party site to actually gather more information. The premise of ChatGPT and what Bing is basically enabling is that I might not have to go to those sources anymore. That if it just writes me an answer and I'm happy with the answer, I don't need to go on to other sources, other you know called citations. Um, And so that's creating a lot of uncertainty in marketing and search and in SEO is like, what is the value of published content as a brand, as a media company, as an individual, uh, if the search engines are going to stop sending traffic to our site? So I'm not ready to say like the sky is falling in here. I think there's a lot to be determined in the months ahead. I don't even say years at this point. I think a lot of this is going to start playing out in the next, you know, three to 12 months. Um, but there is a lot of uncertainty and I think people are asking a lot of really good questions. Um, 
but I don't think that Microsoft and Google actually have very good answers right now, or at least answers that people want to hear. I did hear, um, was it Chamath? I think you and I both listened to the all in podcast. I mm -hmm. think he had, he had proposed in this week's episode, like Google just doubles what they're paying publishers. Like basically Google just says, forget it. Like we're just going to give, give away the money. Like mm -hmm. it's worth more to us to save search than it is to, you know, pinch margins. And so he had a relatively, it was the best idea I've actually heard of like, yeah, if Google, like don't underestimate what Google's capable of doing. They're not going to just let their search business get cannibalized. So there's some plays they could make that the average business person to marketer probably isn't thinking about because we don't spend our days analyzing Google's business model. Mm. Um, so I, the one other thing I wanted to like touch on here, there's a few like tan, tangential pieces of content or there were things related that I wanted to kind of get into for a moment. Um, and that is just the understanding of how language models work. Cause I think there's still lots of misconceptions here. So when we're talking about Google and we're talking about BARD and we're going to get into Microsoft and Bing and ChatGPT, I think it's really, really important that people understand the fundamentals of language models and that they have inherent flaws. So these language models, which power BARD and ChatGPT and GPT-3, like it's what it is, it's a language model, they're just making predictions about words. And I get questions about this every day on LinkedIn or in person. And so people are always like, well, why can't it cite its sources? It doesn't have sources. Like it learns from a corpus of knowledge, in this case, the internet, and then it predicts the words in a sentence. It's not drawing from any specific source. So like the, the analogy we've given is like, if you or, not, or I wanted to write a story about what a large language model is, like if we wanted to write an article about it. And let's say we're going to spend a week and we're going to go read the hundred best articles about large language models. And then we sit down and we write a 500 word blog post about what is a large language model and how do they work. There's a decent chance we could then write that without a single citation. Like we, we went and consumed a bunch of knowledge. We synthesized it in our minds. And then we sat down and we wrote something. So if you then said to me, well, Paul, where's the citations? I would say, I don't know. Like, I, I just read a hundred sources on it. Like I learned the topic so I could write about it. I can't cite for you every single fact or line within that, that story. That's basically a simplified version of how a large language model works. It goes out, it consumes knowledge, the internet in this case, and then it synthesizes that and it writes an article or a response to you. So to ask it for citations, you then actually have to build a whole nother layer of artificial intelligence into it that then goes out and figures out what sources influenced that response. So when Bing is actually like giving you a response and then it's giving like some recommended reading, all it's actually doing is connecting the language model to the internet. The language model gives you a response then an AI underneath it goes and finds related sources that seem to most heavily support the output of the language model. So again, it's like there's this fundamental thing that needs to happen. Now, where we're at with these language models is very baseline. There's this great article from Rob Toes or Taos. I have to find out how to actually say his last name because he writes amazing stuff. Um, but he wrote in Forbes about like what's going to come next for language models. And so I had kind of, I put this on LinkedIn. I said, basically smarter, faster, more accurate, more specialized, and it will appear to be more human-like. 
And so I'll just take a moment and kind of outline the three things he says, and then I recommend people go read this. So the first he said is the models are going to start to generate their own training data. So as crazy as this sounds, these models can consume all of human written knowledge, and then they're going to run out of data to consume. So they can conceivably, if they haven't already, consume everything that exists on the internet. And as new information becomes available, they can consume all that too. So what he's proposing is that these language models will actually consume all the information, start creating original content, and then learn from their own content. So they're going to start creating content at scale to learn from new ideas and content. So that's crazy, but it's, it's in the works. The second is that they can fact check themselves. That one's actually more simple. That's the analogy of go look on the, like write something, go find sources that confirm it and then come back. The other thing we just saw from, I think it was Meta a couple of days ago, released a paper where the AI is actually building tools into the language model. So when it gets to numbers, it actually has a calculator tool that it launches and runs. When it gets to dates, it, run, it runs a calendar tool. Um, so basically they're building tools into the language models that can then verify the information. And the third, and maybe the most intriguing to me, is this idea of what he calls massive sparse expert models. So if you've been paying attention to the language model space, you hear parameters. So the size of a language model is basically dependent upon how many parameters are in the model, so how big it is without getting overly technical. So GPT-3 has 175 billion parameters if, I, if I'm getting the numbers correctly on this. What happens right now, if I run a search or a query into GPT-3, it uses all 175 billion parameters every time. So think about the energy consumption required to get an output from it. Now think about how the human brain works. When we need to make, like say we're driving, we have to make a decision to stop or to, to go through a red light or a yellow light. Like, okay, yellow light, am I gonna accelerate or am I gonna stop? You don't pull from every neuron in your brain to decide whether or not to accelerate your car. There's like some small piece of your brain that actually tells you instinctually whether you're going to go or not. So when the human brain does what it does, it's actually only using very small percentages of the power. It's how it does everything so efficiently. And the belief is, and Google DeepMind's team has proven this is possible, that you can actually have specialized segments of the model that fire based on what the prompt is, based on what the needed output is. So rather than having to continually build these much, much larger models through, say, like a trillion parameters, there's been this rumor like GPT-4 is going to be a trillion parameters. It might not need to be. If they find a way to segment those parameters to be specialized for what is being asked of it. And that's a major potential breakthrough. Like that could really unlock a lot of potential with language models. So I, I just, again, I wanted to say that the other thing I'll end with here is um, Greg Brockman, the CEO of, uh, or the, the president and co-founder of OpenAI tweeted on Sunday, this was Sunday morning, most amazing fact about AI is that even though it's starting to feel impressive, so again, think about ChatGPT and your experience there, a year from now, we'll look back fondly on the AI that exists today as quaint and antiquated. Equal cause for excitement and deliberative caution, important to get the tech and its deployment right. So the basic takeaway I want to, again, leave with here is what we're seeing from Google, from BARD, the overreaction to getting a single thing wrong in a demo, it is so minuscule as to where language models are going and where AI is going. 
And that's why I just kind of like laugh when this overreaction occurs over a single thing or like people jump in and be like, oh, I don't like, you know, Bing or I don't like Bard and it's just never going to work or replace humans or, you know, have a meaningful impact on it. And I just think it's, it's silly <laughs> to like think. So thanks for letting me just like jump on a soapbox for 10 minutes and <laughs> talk about language models. No, it's, it's such an important topic because as we're going to just dive into now, I mean, Google's not the only one um, in this space. I mean, part of what we've been discussing is Microsoft. Microsoft literally the same in the same week launched a version of its Bing search engine powered by OpenAI. So by uh, Greg's company that you just you quoted. Um, and so Bing will now have chat GPT like conversational capabilities. So it can now respond to searches and queries in natural language like chat GPT and also use up-to-date information like Google's Bard product. So Kevin Roos, a big tech writer at the New York Times, he took the new capabilities for a test drive and reported being extremely impressed. And we now are hearing that Microsoft is also going to incorporate the technology into its Edge browser. And I don't know the exact numbers, but I think you saw crazy rises in the App Store for the browser, uh, rises in the usage of Bing as a result. Um, so, Paul, what do you kind of on the heels of Google, how do you view this announcement? So if we go through the same lens as Google, they're, the Microsoft PR team is winning. They, they, they won last week. Uh, Microsoft certainly came out of last week looking way better than Google. Um, so kudos to them on their positioning. I think anyone who's watched interviews with Satya, it is almost hilarious how much he is reveling in this moment. <laughs> he is very much enjoying the fact that they are forcing Google's hand here. He's almost taunting them. And I think we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, I think he's one, he said something like, they had to dance and like were the ones that made him do it or something to that effect <laughs> yeah. of like he he's he's not shy about the fact that they're happy that they're forcing google's hand here uh okay so that being said i am i'm a fan of microsoft um we don't use microsoft generally speaking i mean uh we we use primarily google products as an institute in my agency previously um i am on the wait list for bing the, the new version of Bing. And I will say that when I went to join the wait list, rather than just asking for my email, I had to log into a Microsoft account I didn't know I had. So it made me register for Microsoft, which then made me realize how much I hate having to <laughs> navigate Microsoft's accounts. Because when my children wanted to play Minecraft, I had to create Microsoft's accounts. Then to actually manage anything in Microsoft, you have to navigate these crazy web of like, which account am I in? Which, what preference pages am I on? Can I do it in the app? Oh no, I gotta go to the Microsoft site. And it reminded me why Microsoft has been in the position they're in all this time. There is a friction filled process to work with Microsoft products in my opinion, mm -hmm. whether it's been Skype or Minecraft or Microsoft products. Again, I didn't even know I had an account. And then I went, I was like, well, I don't even know where this account goes to. And then it was actually verifying on an old email address. And I have no idea how to even change that. And I was like, oh my God, like, and in that moment, and again, this is just one person's uh, subjective opinion. I don't think at the end of the day, 
Microsoft makes a meaningful impact on market share here because the friction to move off of the way I or other people do things is so great. Like for me to test Bing out and play around with it, no problem, I'll do it, I'll check it out. But chances are either Google's gonna have a better version in three months or Cohere built into Google or Neva, uh, u.com, like take your pick. And so I think it's a really interesting moment for Microsoft, I'm happy that they're having this, this success. I wouldn't bet against OpenAI and their relationship, but Microsoft has a lot of legacy perceptions about how challenging it is to work in their platform, at least for me, mm. that I cannot see myself at the, this moment doing what like Kevin in the New York Times said, like Bing's now my default browser right. um, or Edge, my new default browser, Bing's the default search. I, I don't see that happening um, in any, significant way I, I could see maybe market share shifts a few percentage points and that's not an insignificant amount of money but at the end i i think that i think satya has a larger strategy at play here than just search so again i'm not saying i'm keeping these comments specific to like search in particular because that's mm -hmm. what we're talking about but i think there's some maybe a trojan horse here that that they're doing this for a reason and winning search isn't actually the reason they're doing this, but it's a really interesting way to force Google's hand in the process. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Again, I'm just kind of like riffing here, but that was my, I'm happy. It looks impressive. People seem really impressed by it. I haven't had a chance to test it yet um, because I'm on the wait list through whatever account I finally <laughs> got <laughs> logged in through and at the end of the day, uh, I, I don't think it's, I don't think we're going to see a meaningful shift in, in metrics um, from a search perspective. Yeah. And like we've discussed on previous podcasts, search is really, you know, it's easy to get distracted by kind of the big headlines and, and shiny objects here. I mean, search is just one piece of the puzzle. I mean, Microsoft for better or for worse, and I'm sure their user experience is not great on some of the other productivity apps they have, but they're embedded in so much of corporate America, and they're yeah. rolling out these types of capabilities in other tools as well, like Teams and Office. Right, and those people aren't switching. Like, that's the thing. Right. If you're going after enterprise users, I'm sorry, like, Microsoft people aren't switching to Google for a better search experience, and Google people aren't switching to Microsoft for a better search experience. It's just like... I'm not saying it's trivial because it's the majority of Google's business is their ad revenue, ad revenue from it. But I, I just feel like three, six months from now, we're not talking about search engines here. I think we're talking about much bigger shifts in business communications, creativity, and the search stuff is just going to have been like a footnote basically. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's so crazy to me as well with kind of our third topic here, just we're so busy talking sometimes about the big tech giants that, I mean, there's so many other major players in this space. And one of them that isn't as well talked about, but is extremely well known um, in AI circles is a company called Cohere. And they're a major AI startup that is in talks to raise money on undisclosed amount right now at a $6 billion valuation and bring chat GPT-like capabilities to businesses. So Cohere's been around for several years, established in 2019 by former researchers at Alphabet, Google's parent company. 
and they build foundational language AI technology that allows businesses to incorporate some of these large language models into their work. And Cohere has already raised $170 million uh, from big venture capital funds, but also notably, they are supported by some of the big luminaries in the AI space, including Jeff Hinton, who is one of the kind of godfathers of the field, and Fei-Fei Li is also a major, major player. Um, what I thought was really notable about this announcement is not just the valuation itself, which is significant, but the company also has a stated focus for building for the enter enterprise with an emphasis on actually real-world applications for these type of conversational and language technologies. So Cohere is less talked about than some of the other heavyweights in this space, but they're worth paying attention to. Can you kind of walk us through why that is? Yeah, I think you highlighted a, a good portion of it. I started paying attention to them right away because Jeff Hinton, name was attached to as was Fei Fei Li, as you said, in the Series A. So they raised, um, they did what, 40 million Series A in 2021, and then they did 125 million Series B in 2022. Um, so Jeff Hinton, I, we've talked about Hinton on the this, this show before, but basically he was one of kind of the godfathers of modern AI or the deep learning movement and coined the phrase deep learning. And then him and a team of PhD students um, in 2011, 2012, uh, proved the ability of neural nets and deep learning to do advanced image recognition with the ImageNet competition. He then formed a company, sold it to Google for $44 million, went on to kind of work in Google brain team there. So Hinton is a legend. And so when I first heard of Cohere years ago and Hinton and Fei-Fei Li being associated with it, I was like, well, they're not going to be associated with anything that's not super legit. And I didn't really know the team behind Cohere or anything like that, but I just knew if Hinton's involved, it's got to be something worth paying attention to. So I started following along with Cohere and, and kind of making notes and subscribe to their content and just been keeping track of them. Um, but then when you realize who Aiden Gomez is, so the CEO, one of the co-founders, and you start doing some back research on him he was one of i think there was nine authors on google um, in 2017 of the attention is all you need paper where they introduced the transformer which is the architecture that underlies language models today so what in, what powers gpt and chat gpt and all these things were sparred lambda this breakthrough called transformers is what actually enabled this to occur and aiden gomez i believe was the lead author on that paper and hinton was one of his advisors i think is the way it worked out mm. so gomez and i i believe like seven of the nine people from that team actually all left google in recent years to do their own thing so gomez went took a lot of the learnings from what they were doing there and built cohere to build a language model from the ground up basically so then you start kind of connecting the dots. It's like, okay, so Transformers, I was just re-listening on the flight to San Francisco today. I was re-listening to the Lex Friedman interview with Andres Karpathy, who was mm -hmm. the head of AI at Tesla and just announced last week he's going back to open AI. Yeah. In that interview, Friedman said, like, what is the most uh, monumental thing basically that has happened in AI in recent years in your opinion? And he said the creation of the Transformer. Mm. So it, I mean, it is a, extremely important moment in the development of AI and the advancement of what we're seeing in generative AI today is the creation 
of this transformer architecture. And so to know that Aiden Gomez was actually at the forefront of that and now building this company, those things alone make it worth following. And then for me, in, in kind of paying attention to what they've been doing, they've done some very interesting things from a marketing and branding perspective to try and educate people on how language models work and what they are and the mm -hmm. different ways to use them in marketing use cases, like content summarization is one of the big ones. Um, so I don't know. I've just been following them. I've played it. They, you can get access to their playground. So just like OpenAI has a playground that you can get access to and test their language models, you can do the same thing with Cohere. So I've been doing that, I think probably six months ago or so I got access to that. It's not as user friendly. Like I can definitely see it's built more for developers. Um, the results certainly weren't as impressive as like playing around with chat GPT or GPT-3 and OpenAI Playground. But the company and where they're going to me is very fascinating. And I believe they just announced, um, I know one, one interesting, they're agnostic and cloud. So they're mm -hmm. not like OpenAI where they're gonna do a deal only with Microsoft. So I believe they're already embedded with AWS SageMaker. I think you can actually use Cohere in Amazon SageMaker. And then I think they also have a deal with Google Cloud. And that article said it was rumored that Google's actually going to be one of the people investing in the next round. Hmm. So, yeah, long story short, I would pay attention to what Cohere is doing. I think it's a really smart company. Obviously, they have a density of talent there that seems to be getting better and better. And I think they're going to be a, a name people are going to hear over and over again in the months and years ahead. Yeah, that's a just a crazy amount of talent and pedigree from a company that most people probably outside the space probably haven't necessarily heard of or been following. No. Um, how do they kind of fit into the AI competitive landscape, so to speak, in your opinion? Well, they're, they're, so you right now you have the companies that are building on top of language models, like, um, again, I'm just going to generalize here, but let's say like Writer, Jasper, HyperWrite, WordTune, um, for the most part, they build on top of the APIs from people building the language models like OpenAI. Cohere would be a builder of language models. So they're mm -hmm. building their own. They're not building on top of someone else's API. Now, I, again, I say generally because these AI writing tool companies are also trying to get into the building their own language model game because they don't want to be dependent upon any one API to do what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I would say they're, they're up there with like OpenAI. Anthropic, I think we talked about last yep. week that just took a big investment from Google as another player there. Um, and then you have like Stability AI and Hugging Face that are kind of open sourcing these models so people can fine tune them and build on top of them. Uh, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's probably like, I don't know, eight to 10 major noteworthy companies right now in this space at different stages. And I think they're going to become very common names in the business world in the coming you know, year or two. Yeah. So speaking of that, and kind of to wrap this topic up in our episode up, I wanted to end on getting your take about Cohere's focus on building for the enterprise. They mentioned this multiple times in interviews. The CEO is pretty adamant that, hey, like, a lot of the things we're seeing out there in the usage of language models is great, but we're laser focused on real world use cases and building for business applications. I think we've talked about this before. If not, I've, I've said it in talks, but I believe that the near future for enterprises is going to be custom training models on mm. their data. So the more blog posts, webinars, eBooks, white papers, videos, podcasts, 
if you think about the archive of all the content you have to take a general model like GPT-3 and then train it on your corpus of knowledge specific to your organization, that's really valuable. Um, connected to your CRM database, now you have customer data infused into there. So the more proprietary data sources you can layer into these language models, multimodal too, so audio, video, images, text, if you think about your organization and all of that content you have and the ability to have that also inform the outputs of these language models, I think that's critical uh, and it's where most of them are going to try and go. So it seems like Cohere is just going there first. They're not going to get distracted by trying to build like cute little chat interfaces that don't make much money and you know they're fun and they're useful, but they're flawed. I think they're just going to say, we're just going to bypass that whole thing and let's just go right to the value creation at the, at the top level. It's an interesting play. I, I would, um, I would invest if I had the opportunity. I'll say that. <laughs> I, I think they're, I think they're a major player and they're doing very smart things right now. Very cool. Well, Paul, as always, thank you for your time and insights. Um, Enjoy the rest of San Francisco. <laughs> I will do one one more note before we go. A bonus for everyone. We're not doing a rapid fire session today. <laughs> However, we can link to this. Google did for the first time state they will not penalize AI content just because it was generated by AI. Yeah. So that happened since last week's episode. It's been one of the big question marks around SEO and language models and content creation. So they said that it's still all about is it helpful, is it valuable? and it won't matter whether or not AI wrote it. So just uh, throw it out there as our one rapid fire item for the week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is, and that certainly uh, is going in a direction that maybe not everyone in marketing predicted, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of commentary that, oh, Google will penalize this stuff. So not yeah. exactly true. It's always nice when we have actual confirmation from the source and we all don't have to just kind of sit around making educated guesses so, right <laughs> yes we can put this one to rest it will not penalize uh good ai generated content let's say perfect which i'm sure we'll see uh, more of in coming days <laughs> all right well next week should be interesting i'll be back from the gen ai conference i'll have all the new information from jasper and uh, everything that's going to be talked about here and i'm sure it's going to be another wild week in ai <laughs> everywhere else so uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, definitely subscribe and leave a rating. And we would love to not only see the ratings, but re reach out to Mike and I. We'd love to hear from the listeners and uh, get connected. So thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.